That, you know, it's like how kids talk about baseball players. That's how we talk about albums. We're just trying to postpone mortality. They need that to fill some kind of void that they have. The search for the Yeti. He's a duck. <laughs> well, don't interrupt. Hello, and welcome to the Smashing Pumpcast. I'm Frank Garcia Hale. I'm Pat O'Brien, and today we have a great show. We're going to be talking about the official pre-gish releases. Correct. These are the releases that have been uh, pressed to vinyl, put on CD, put on cassette tape for consumption and for purchase. Burned to uh, wax. Uh, Burned to wax. I recently saw something where they, it shows how they make the special colored vinyls. Uh, and it blew my mind because it looked like they were like little donuts and they get pressed and then all of a sudden it becomes this, this uh, you know, whatever color you want uh, record that plays music. Uh, I made the mistake of reading the comments, though, because uh, somebody legitimately, a younger person asked, like, how does sound come out of that? And this person got dragged for no reason, just people being like, you're ignorant and young and you know, fuck you for being so stupid. And it's like, did you really have to? Right. I think I feel like it's a nice, earnest question. Uh, you know, like, I, I don't think everybody who's ever owned a vinyl would be able to explain the science behind it. To also. I certainly can't. I can't either. And I've been collecting since, you know, high school. You know, yeah, I, I definitely couldn't tell. If you asked me now, I probably wouldn't be able to answer correctly. I just you think, know, yeah, I, magic. I don't know. Magic and good intentions and uh, just the, the power of music. I don't know. Yeah, that's well, the power of music transcends all can do anything. I, I want to watch this video because I like the idea of the little donuts. Time to make the vinyls. Time to make the vinyls. Anybody remember that? That'll be a special shirt that we sell on our Patreon page one day. Yeah. Yeah. Time to make the vinyls. <laughs> Smashing Pumpcast. Um, so, yeah, that's what we're covering today. We're, we're done with the demo tapes, at least with the 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 main demo tapes, because Lord have mercy. Uh Pumpkin's timeline is always kind of murky. There's so, so much because Billy's so prolific. But man, it, it, uh, the people at spfc.org are doing God's work because, good God, uh, there is so much to keep track of. And even then, it's pretty convoluted. And as we said uh, before, when we did the Nothing Ever Changes episode in the moon and uh, the self-titled one, even then, there's supposedly the self-titled a 17-track version of that, too. And I tried looking for those songs, and I couldn't find them. So there's always going to be something that's we're not going to catch because there is so fucking much. Yeah, um, yeah. And like you said, big shout-out to SPFC.org. And for anybody listening, if you do catch, you know, if there's something you know for a fact we're wrong about, or or more likely we're overlooking, I think that would be mm -hmm. the issue. If there's if something has been omitted, reach out to us. This is a group effort team. Okay, so correct. You, know. you can do that at uh, if you email us at the Smashing Pumpcast Caspel K A S T at gmail dot com. Yeah, uh, you can let us know, uh, or you can hit us up on the socials. That's at Twitter at pumpkins podcast and podcast is spelled normal and on instagram at smashing pumpcast cast spelled k-a-s-t you can hit us up there also uh we're we're sourcing any fan stories that you have about the bands about meeting the bands or anything special that you want to share try to keep it brief though because when we do those mini episodes 
uh, we want to make sure that we give everybody a chance to be heard and share those stories. And we only have so long to record those episodes, especially with, yeah, I I'm recording this with a toddler in the house. Uh, so I got to do this stuff really quick, <laughs> you yeah. know, yeah. without, before getting interrupted. So, uh, yeah, if you keep it brief and fun, then, uh, we'll have to edit if it's too long, but you know, nothing personal, just something that we have to do for time, but we still love to hear those things and also share pictures and stuff that we can share on the social media. We love one of the most important things about this band is the fan community. That's a huge part of what the pumpkins are. Definitely. Fans. Yeah. And we've, yeah, it's been awesome to have, you know, we're just, this thing is still new, but we've already, you know, we've, we've engaged with a lot of people. A lot of people have reached out and it's been really exciting and cool. And we, we, yeah, we want to keep, uh, we want to keep doing that and think of new cool ways to do it. But for now, check, yeah, hit us up on the socials. If you have anything to, to share. And thanks for also bearing with us while we try to figure out the audio stuff while we record remotely. I think we might have gotten it now. Hopefully, knock on wood, uh, there's not, none around me. Oh, no. But uh, hopefully, thank, thank you, Pat, <laughs> for doing that. And it's because of our crisp audio setup that you could even detect that wood knocking. It's correct. Here, here's, a, here's a clearer one for everybody. So let's hope that doesn't jinx us. Right. You could use that's fully quality. You could use that in a movie where someone's knocking on a door and, you know. If no you want to hire Pat for Foley work, you can do that. I'm he available. Is available to do that. He is at home. He's waiting. He has his blocks. He has his bells. He has his celery for bone crunching. Yep. He is the number one top Foley man at the moment that we just mentioned in his general area where he lives in his house with his audio setup. So if you want to hire him, you could do that. Make your own movie now. You yeah. Know, he's got the, you know, he can do like you're walking on gravel or you're uh, punching a tomato. I could do slips and falls. I could do, you know, bone crushing. I could do sort of more Hanna-Barbera sound effect, you know, wacky Flintstone type stuff. Just, just. Those are my favorite. Yeah. When you're watching a action movie, and all of a sudden you hear the same sound as Fred Flintstone trying to start up his car and go, it really adds something Actually, to it. the Fast I, and the Furious movies. Oh yeah, sure. when Vin Diesel revs up that revs up that Mustang and you hear the I will say, um, I did for some reason when I was in college, I would I would sometimes rent, you know, CDs from the library they had my they had a lot of like cool stuff at the library and, and and i for some reason needed i was making some kind of video or something but i but i needed um th those fred flintstone type sound effects and i, mm -hmm. I there was a Hanna barbera sound effect cd with like a hundred tracks and it had like every little zip zoop like every little thing that you oh hear in the flintstones that sounds awesome so i imported it into my itunes but then, like, when, for years, when I would, whenever I would be listening to music um, on shuffle, every yeah. once in a while, you would just hear like a <laughs> or like a <laughs> zoop, like little like a remember the little space guy that they introduced on the, yeah. the Flintstones? Like you'd hear him materializing. Is it, it, it uh, the Great Kazoo, right? Yeah. Or Gazoo, I can't remember. And then there would they also included there were all the sound effects, but they also included. And I think it was the actor who played Fred Flintstone, but much later in life because he sounded old. But they recorded. Um, <laughs> yeah, but damn, I do. They did. It, it, they recorded um, 
answering machine messages that you can the cd was probably this was like in the 2000s when i rented it or imported it into my itunes but it was probably from like 1994 um but the guy who did fred flintstone recorded all these answering machine messages that you could use or or, or oh phone messages where it would be like yeah damn do happy birthday to you or the you know like uh, whatever <laughs> the, or, or i'm not home bonnie i'm not home right now leave a message <laughs> anyway a little tangent but it was a it was a fun little it always kind of like so every time i was surprised by it i was like what the fuck is oh of course the hanna barbera cd but uh it's the great gazoo yeah he was all over it the great gazoo was on there there was his sound effects his him talking you know that dum-dum is where i have to draw the line also not to take up too much time um i we know i mean doing sketch comedy for over a decade your itunes is toast Oh yeah, I have so much dumb crap, and, and yeah, yeah. All the all the sound effects that you have to, I I I haven't put my iTunes on shuffle probably ever because it's impossible. I have too many sound effects and weird songs for my for the sketches that I wrote over mm-hmm. the years at UCB that it's just there's no way. Oh my, yeah. At this, my, like I have so many crypt keeper cackles and like <laughs> it, mostly that to be honest. That's what I usually wrote sketches about. Yeah, crypt it's all about characters. the crypt keeper and the crypt keeper puns. Yeah, know? basically I I milked that that avenue for not all it's worth but for a lot. <laughs> Um, anyway, that was uh, sorry for the diversion, but I think people are going to be glad they heard about that Fred Flintstone story. I think so. I think they're going to enjoy it. And uh, I've always wanted to say when people ask me, oh, what's your favorite album? Just say like Spooky Halloween Sounds Volume 3 yeah. and see what people say. Um, Which I yeah. also have in my iTunes currently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it might be Volume 4. I'm not sure, but it's it's definitely Spooky Halloween Sounds. Man, that one I don't like as much. That's when I felt like they really took the wrong direction. They kind of sold they out lost. on that one. Okay, so uh, what we're going to start with, we're trying to go by a timeline here. And based off of what we've researched, that would be the Light Into Dark compilation. And that was released on Halo Records. So, uh, Pat, just a little bit of facts on this. Uh, Do you want to give some? Sure, yeah. This was released in April of 1989. It's the first vinyl appearance of the band, uh, the LP of the compilation. Um, this is the only official appearance of these two songs that are on it, uh, which is Sun and My Dahlia. Um, but that Sun is a different mix uh, from the Smashing Pumpkins self-titled tape. Right. Interestingly enough, which was which was a remix, which I guess must have been a remix of an earlier version rather than the other way around, because obviously Sun remix, which we already talked about, predated this, right? Right. Okay, so... Or no, 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 uh, sorry, the... Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> if anyone knows, yeah, Sun Remix was the demo version, but, you know, there could have been who knows how many mixes that that never saw the light of day. Yeah, because I think they were both recorded at Real Time Studios. Uh, Mark Ignafo, remember Mark Ignafo? Ignafo! You're going to want that the keyboard solo, Billy Baby. Yeah. Uh, Mark Ignafo. Yeah, I, I think... Um, yeah, I, I can't say for certain. 
if anyone knows for certain that's a deep it's almost like it it could be an issue of you know say when you or i save one of our spooky sent just personally create a spooky sound mp3 and it's like you know ghost moan mislabeled right yeah yeah yeah. or just ghost sound one when really it's ghost sound three and then it just gets all mucky muck in your itunes right or ghost sound remix which you know yeah you're gonna want that remix um other bands on there uh one band that stuck out to me is poster children are you familiar with them pat i know of them only as they're a fellow chicago band as all the Mm -hmm. bands were right but i I only know because we've talked about them a little bit on this on this podcast but i i don't think i've ever listened to them they're great uh they trying to think of what might have been their big hit in the 90s uh was it oh for one or maybe i'm mis under misremembering but they were they were a fun band i saw them live a few times opening up for other bands and they're just a ton of fun to watch live and they're a great band uh yeah do they still exist i think they I think so. I, you know, I haven't kept up with them in a while. I, that's it's funny that you mentioned that because when I was in college, they had released an album that was really fun that had uh, the single Western Springs, which is a really cool, fun kind of country throwback indie rock song. But yeah, I, I haven't really kept up with them since probably the mid-aughts. So I'm not sure. I can't say for sure. Um, yeah, I'll check them out. Any other facts you want to mention? Um, let's see. Well, you mentioned Ignafo, of course. Mm-hmm. He, um, uh, mixed by Billy Corgan and Mark Ignafo and engineered by Mar- Mark Ignafo. Yeah, the LP produced was... Produced by Billy Corgan. Of course, William Patrick. Uh, the LP was limited to 1,000 copies on black vinyl um, and 1,000 CDs were pressed to commemorate the 13-year anniversary of the original Halo Records release party at Cabaret Metro. But what I'm curious is if any of our listeners happen to have a copy of the, one of those 1000 copies of you know the original vinyl release i feel like that's about as rare of a find as you can have at this point but some yeah. some of the some of the pumpkins heads out there must you know be aware of some copies of these somewhere have you ever gone down the black hole uh that is discogs.com a little bit occasionally i i've i've purchased a couple of uh, records on discogs and I, I and more frequently i sort of just um window shop so i i do Oof. yeah i know it's yeah it, me too yeah and remember i mentioned that uh yellow first pressing vinyl of pisces iscariot the one that got away the one that got away and it's on there there are copies on there and oh uh, especially when my birthday was about a month ago and i v- was very tempted to use some of that money to get that but i decided to save it because we are in uncertain times right Uh, right. luckily i got a amazon gift card i was able to use to get the uh, airplane flies high box set which is which is that's an exciting get yeah i it still hasn't got here because it's not quote unquote an essential item during this time i guess (laughs) debatable 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 for sure um yeah but like i wonder if this is on there uh 
but you could find a lot of good rare pumpkin stuff on there a lot of stuff from the uk which would also be a cool because that stuff's on hut i think Mm -hmm. um a lot of that stuff i don't know if i had all the disposable income in the world baby you better believe i'm gonna buy i know i i often go on there and just look at the because i you know the the melon i would love an original melancholy me too final the three piece uh the song listing's a little different the fact that it's three pieces of, i love my my melancholy reissue it's great but four fucking pieces of vinyl it's you can barely sink into like the that's that's the biggest downside of that is that oh yeah before as soon as you get a side going it's over and it it does interrupt the flow of how you remember how i certainly remember listening to these songs on the on the in the two cd format but anyway you know first world problems um, <laughs> for real yeah absolutely for, for <laughs> <real>. <laughs> what's the next level beyond that yeah rec well record problems i guess is yeah. the next level beyond that but so yeah those are the facts for the light into dark compilation let's go ahead and get started with the first song on it pat you want to cue this up this first song is called my dahlia baby this song is hip i like this a lot it's got a swagger to it that it's kind of like the cure meets the cult i know i keep bringing up the cult but that did seem like a big inspiration at the time i wonder if it were was if if it wasn't then it really seeped in there uh but yeah it's it's more groovy and poppier than you would eventually hear on gish yeah and the thing that really struck me this listening to this um closely this time was it, it really had an Alice in Chains vibe for me. Mm. I, hearing the opening, I kind of like, I, you could totally hear Alice in Chains vocals coming in rather than than Billy. Um, it, it, that that was the, the thing that kind of overwhelmed me uh, the most. But I, I, I agree. I, I really like it. It is, it is hip. I think it's hip um, of the, you know, it, it, in the historical context, it definitely sounds sort of, um, I guess the Alice in Chains thing, it, it, it makes it sort of fit what was going on at the time, but then, then it turns it's, it's, you know, it's psychedelic lyrically and sonically speaking, uh, which is interesting. Cause I feel like we, a lot of this early stuff or I like I've maybe described a lot of this stuff as, psychedelic i'm not the first one too but then i kept like i thought to myself like what what do i actually mean when i'm saying that because it's when i think about psychedelic music you kind of uh, picture like a vibe like an era which you know predated the pumpkins obviously but that they were kind of referring back to but um i think there's a yeah, I think with with a psychedelic, like what you mean by that is like, I mean, we we know because of pop culture, right? All the movies right. and 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 the TV that we saw of that era definitely points to that sound. Yeah, definitely. And it's you know, you think of drugs, you think of bright colors. I think mm-hmm. the 
I mean, honestly, I think the most psychedelic thing about Pumpkin's music is almost, I mean, obviously the early stuff, we remember when Billy told the story about writing the line, open your eyes to these mustard lies Mm -hmm. while out of his mind on mushrooms. So, you know, certainly there was, there was that element, but the, it it paints, I I think I'm um, a person who I'm a visual person and I do definitely have that thing, that synesthesia thing with like, I attach colors to, to, you know, some people have it with like numbers and letters, which I kind of do, but certainly music. And Oh, you're one of those freaks. Yeah, I am one of those total freaks. And um, I actually, I was reading, um, I don't know if it was someone who commented on our account or if it was one of our followers on Instagram or something who just posted something about their young child who she played Gish for and their baby, like one or two year old, refers to it as uh, purple, the purple, like just associates it with the color you know do you think it's and because I, of the album cover the re i don't know it was I, I the way she put it it almost seemed like um that's what the baby was seeing yeah it wasn't like it, it wasn't necessarily uh, like the vinyl or there was no like hard copy or anything necessarily so i just kind of got to thinking about like when for me when i say oh this pumpkin song is like psychedelic what mm-hmm. the hell am i even talking about but then also like experimental i think is is yeah is another way to define it which in that sense of the word they've kind of always been psychedelic if you think of it as just like musical experimentation yeah i could see that to me it feels like around this era of like the late 80s there was this like kind of new bohemia uh, mm-hmm. This kind of like there was a lot of the culture of the 60s coming back because as we know, every 20 years, you know, it always cycles back because now there are kids who are wearing the stuff that we wore in high school, you know, that's you yeah. know, the 90s and that's all coming back too. But it always kind of goes in those 20 year cycles. And at that time, like the whole new Bohemia, you know, uh, it, it, it's it's a style, it's a sound, you know, with uh, also um oliver stone re-releasing or releasing the doors movie you know all that stuff kind of came back into vogue and this kind of fits into that to me that's what i kind of picture it's funny that you mentioned the allison chains because i could definitely hear what you're talking about with like the album jar like with the with the song nutshell which is a fantastic song i could hear like uh, with the acoustic and all that stuff those elements i think it's the acoustic guitars that kind of lend itself Mm -hmm. to kind of sound like that uh i think this predates some of the allison chain stuff that sounded like that but I think I, I see I completely see what you're talking about as far as like that acoustic guitar sound goes. And I think that um yeah, just listening to this, I I, I very much it transports me back to my older cousins and how they were into that new Bohemia type of mm-hmm. stuff. And 
you know, I picture myself in like a, you know, black circle shades on and in all black reading Sandman comics and Kerouac at a coffee shop or something like that. Yeah, yeah, this, you know? definitely. And this, I, I maybe, you know, there definitely feels to be like a, a generation of deadheads that that sort of emerged oh, at this yeah. time. Maybe be maybe de- like Grateful Dead were such a powerful force that they just kind of never went away. But it felt like there was an intense new fan base in the early 90s late 80s early 90s that was emerging that kind of the pumpkins you could definitely see overlapping with you know sort of touching on doing totally new stuff with it but with one foot in that world a little bit or just just a lot of crossover appeal with that that sort of uh people who are into that sort of thing as opposed to like a nirvana which in my mind comes more from like the punk world it, it, mm-hmm. or, or you know kind of it kind of has its roots uh just yeah more in like uh it, it not it like sort of it, it couldn't be further from kind of what you would associate with like hippie culture i guess yeah i um i think grateful dead probably had like a little bit of insurgence because of that hit they had in the 80s as well that was a commercial hit it was like their only touch of gray yeah touch of gray was like the first not first that's stupid to say it wasn't their first song that they played on the the radio because that's not true whatsoever but that was like kind of their first crossover hit that people who were into 80s pop and stuff could really get into Yeah, I do love that song. I know it's basic of me, but me but, too. Um, I love the video, man. I'm such a big fan yeah. of skele- puppeteered skeletons, <laughs> and that's like the gold. St- that's what probably, but you know, seared that whole thing into my brain. As yeah, because I, I do remember seeing that and being like, "This is a little scary. This is twenty percent scary and eighty percent awesome." I love it. Yeah, if you want to, if if you really want to win Pat's heart, puppeted skeletons is how you <laughs> truly, go about it. Truly, um, just to kind of mention some of the technical stuff, the solo that's at two twenty two after the bridge, I absolutely love. It sounds cool. It's just kind of hip. It's it's awesome. <laughs> And then after that, it's it goes into uh, in two thirty eight. It goes into the. It sounds like the bass has flange on it, like they mm-hmm. added it. It's more prominent for sure. The bass actually comes in. But yeah, that that solo is just so kind of airy and cool, and it just feels like kind of t- not tossed off, but kind of like nonchalant. Like yeah, whatever. But this is this is awesome. Yeah, there's a there's a nonchalantness to this um, song. It's kind of that lane of pumpkin song. I'm I'm trying to draw you know another example of that, but um, it's like a type of pumpkin song that's sort of um, you know uh, cool and 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 smooth and and uh, laid back. I guess. Yeah. This is this is laid back pumpkins. All right, our next song is Sun. Walking in the sun. 
so yeah, we already covered this on the self-release tape episode, but of course, as we said before, it's a different mix than what is on that uh, self-release tape, and it has a lot more feedback to it, I think, right? Mm -hmm. uh, or it sounds like, a yeah, that start, that feedback start uh, reminds me of, are you familiar with the band A Place to Bury Strangers? I, only the name. Yeah, they were a great Brooklyn band, uh, noise, shoegaze, very like loud, louder, Jesus and Mary Chain type of mm -hmm. uh, bands. And uh, the intro to their song Ocean sounds like this. Every time I hear that, that little feedback squeal it reminds me of that song i mean the pl place to bury strangers came way way after but hearing that i always like get a little bit do you ever do that with certain songs where you hear a certain thing and it reminds you immediately of another song it kind of takes you out of it just for a, a hot second definitely and i think i have an example of that with one of the other songs that we're gonna discuss today ah. and it, i was i was racking my brain trying to pinpoint what song it was reminding me of but i think i think i got there and i I'll, think i'll share that with i think you. we'll have the same idea uh, i can't wait to get to that part because i think we might be on the same wavelength with that one so anyway uh yeah just a slightly different mix with this one we talked about this about the tomorrow never knows drums and it sounds for me it sounded like the doors doors ish to me and that it was originally a, a song by the marked which is billy's former band and it was originally called death of a mind so right yeah uh any additional um, thoughts you want to add to this since you know other than what we covered in the self-release tape episode yeah just a couple i mean yeah we did talk about it but i, I it's interesting because i i I listened to the demo version again a couple times before recording this, as well as this version, and I I started to find the the demo version slightly long and repetitive, and I didn't feel this way that way about this one. But then I looked at the runtime, and it's actually thirty seconds longer. So <laughs> who the hell knows? It, it, I guess just the you know the, it's a musical the, illusion. Right, it is. Yeah, yeah. What's um, that, that that term for whenever a scale it sounds like it keeps going up the stairs, but it's really not. It's just an audio illusion. Oh yeah, Do you know what I'm a talking about. I don't know the term, but maybe a, a phantom slinky. That's I'm totally <laughs> making that. Wait, well, if it's not, then it should be. It phantom should be, slinky then. is. We're gonna copyright that. Don't steal that. Please don't steal it. Please don't don't steal it. We need this. Um. Another thought that I had was it was at the end of this song, the end of this version of the song. I found it interesting that they so so I really like the ending where they kind of do kind of like a you know classic pumpkins kind of jammy outro. Mm -hmm. um, it's very feedbacky and and you know drum heavy. Then the, only to get back to the main riff for like a second, and then they fade out. It felt like um, it, <laughs> yeah, it felt. Yeah, it felt like they could have just ended on the they they dip back into it for a for a fade out. I and I know like, hey, you know that's just when you get Billy and Mark Ignafo in a room together, uh, anything can happen. So you know, Billy, I have an idea. What if we actually fade this out and then bring it back in for one last taste? What do you think, baby Billy? I, I guess, Mark. Come on, baby, take these pills. Take these pills, Billy. This will show you a new era that will usher you into Gish. 
is uh is my, in my mind i think mark ignafo is kind of um robert evans yeah that, that's what that i was what thinking, thinking too yeah. <laughs> yeah it's like a robert yeah. evans uh slash uh yeah just like old time like a, a a sleazy kind of I'm, i feel so bad saying sleazy i'm sure he's a very nice man he's i know i was like, thinking how he's probably a sweet guy who's nothing like this whatsoever <laughs> i like know we've created this, this persona like, <laughs> If he's out there, we should talk to him someday. I would Nafo. love to, yeah. So if you're listening to this Mr. Mark Ignafo and haven't shut it off out of uh, pure anger and furious rage, then please come on the podcast. Yeah. You got it, baby. I'm going to be there right away. <laughs> yeah, because if you don't, we'll, we'll you know, we'll, keep, we'll do it for we'll you. We'll appear. <laughs> unsavory we'll, impression of you. Yeah, yeah. So come save your reputation. Um Yes, but, any other yeah, thoughts? Yeah. That was kind of it. The ending struck me and just, you know, I, I, I think I prefer this version just on sort of a basic level, uh, just a basic, it sounds better. Me too. The recording sounds better. Yeah, I think uh, I, I, I think the same thing too. I, I prefer it slightly. It's, it's so tough to say that because, you know, there's such minor changes when... I'm sure if you you say that to the common man, uh, the common person, uh, they will be like, I don't hear it. What what's this is stupid? Why are you saying you prefer one over the other? But I honestly, I, I can hear the slight differences, and those little differences make a big difference. Yeah, definitely. So the next uh, release that we're going to be talking about is the I Am One single. And this is, of course, the Pumpkins' first official release. It was originally recorded in 1989 and released in 1990 on 7-inch vinyl. Unlimited potential. Yes. And um, 1,500 copies were pressed. And uh, let us know if you are the proud owner of one of those. And it contains I Am One, of course, and the b-side not worth asking which i really enjoyed we'll get into that yeah but it, yeah the first of uh many b-sides to come uh fun fact about this at least based on my research i don't know if this is true or not but it's a fun fact is that uh he finance uh billy financed this with the money he got from uh his college tuition fund left by his grandma oh very nice yeah so uh, some good came of that thanks grandma the education he educated us all with his music yeah james eha is only identified by his first name on this release and that they uh printed shirts now this is something that i speaking of like wanting to have the holy grail of these vinyls uh these t-shirts that they pressed along with it i really want <laughs> i really wish i had one of these it's uh they have two different t-shirts uh one-sided where the front is the sleeve artwork printed in purple mm-hmm. ink on white shirt and then a two-sided one with sleeve artwork printed in purple ink on white shirt and then the back says limited potential uh or it has the logo of limited potential in purple ink uh and that would have been a pretty awesome shirt to own well artwork well i mean you look at the cover of this and it's all there it's like this it's like you know it's proto it's 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 smashing pumpkins it's like yeah you know the 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 sort of victorian gypsy girl and the sort of it's got like a kind of uh line uh art quality the way that the this the label the out the cd and record labels of the melancholy discs are designed it's mm-hmm. yeah or it's 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 a really cool 
image and um yeah really just uh, just sort of announcing to the world the the band's overall vibe visual and audio yeah it's the pumpkins we know just kind of crashing through the window just being like here we are and it's definitely the one that we know a little rough around the edges but still it's a lot closer to what we eventually find on gish yeah definitely so the first track of this single of course is the a side is i am one Right off the bat, what I noticed is that it sounds slower. Yep. More rough around the edges, of course. Uh, Still kind of singing in that Ian Asbury type of way. And Jimmy's drums don't sound as defined or confident to me. Mm Mm-hmm. Same. Uh, The whole thing... Yeah, I I sort of wrote... I noted here that the whole thing sounds a little slower and sloppier, kind of chunkier than the album version. Um, Mark Ignafo also recorded this as well. The Ignaf man. Well, everyone was uh, everyone was out of their mind on Ludes. If Ignafo was behind the wheel, are you kidding me, baby? <laughs> um, but yeah, I I agree about the drums, and I kind of would apply that to Billy's vocals too. And the biggest the the biggest thing I noticed is just the that the lyric "cu" is much more it's pronounced. Very pronounced. <laughs> To the point where it made me realize I never really knew that lyric. I've I didn't heard the either. song a bajillion times, but he he he, in a cool way, kind of garbles that chorus into just kind of a sound. I always thought it was sort of just sad, like sad, <laughs> like it didn't matter. It made sense to me. Yeah. Um, and I think that is a cool, confident move. The the move to the way it's performed on the album version. Because it's just one of those things where needing to know the literal uh, words that he's saying kind of adds nothing to your experience of the music. And it does, like, I never once felt like, what the fuck is he talking about? On yeah, song? me neither. Despite never actually, clearly never actually knowing what he was saying. It's like that. Um, cocteau twins thing of like oh yeah you, you it, it if you inf- if you sing it with passion mm. it, it it doesn't matter if it if it um actually literally means anything in any language that we know it's so funny you brought that up because we were listening to them in the house the other day I, we love cocteau twins they're so just gorgeous music oh, me and, too yeah amazing um but the you know how most of the lyrics that she did would be different languages or languages that she would make up and it would just be a hodgepodge of Mm -hmm. different phrases and words, whatever fit the feeling of the song for her cherry flavored funk in heaven or Las Vegas in that album, they started using English and Mm -hmm. phrases and stuff. Mm -hmm. 
it's more about the mood and the feel and i think that's kind of why like a band like nine inch nails too because where he'll talk about he'll openly admit trent reznor will openly admit that his lyrics are terrible yes it did but there's a there's a a feeling that kind of mm-hmm. uh, accentuates the music. It just kind of fits with the the overall feeling of the song. And I think yeah. that lyrics are important, but sometimes I I don't care. You know, if if yeah. it's a song, then that's all that. Definitely. Yeah. And it's on display, like, especially kind of researching and boning up for for talking about these releases. You know, we've both been reading the lyrics uh, in addition to listening and reading up on the the stats and stuff. But it, it the lyrics kind of just spelled out on a page on a website, they're kind of measly. It's like, oh, this, you know, it's it's um yeah it it's it's just one one element of a of a big collaborative effort it's one ingredient and lyrics have this have especially i guess maybe the music we grew up on everything was so lyrically was so like intense and and heavy and brooding and mm-hmm. like that you 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 get this sense that lyrics are so important but you know it's like um if you're making a movie you got camera sound acting you know uh editing it's like it's one it's just but one ingredient in the in mm-hmm. the cake yeah absolutely um see you very pronounced no no man i won't yeah <laughs> yeah and the, yeah. that's a, that's a funny thing though is because the see you is so pronounced but after that it's still kind of <laughs> garbled right you only hear see you <laughs> Whereas when you kind of garble the whole thing, it it oddly makes more sense. Yeah. I also noticed that it's slightly different when uh, he goes into the am I as I, you know, like that part. Mm -hmm. Um, The guitar part sounds more, it it sounds a little different uh, uh, rhythm wise. It sounds kind of like um, closer to Cherub Rock. Oh, The opening of Cherub Rock, like that kind of... It's, yeah, it's got a yeah. certain rhythm that's a little close to the Cherub Rock uh, entrance uh, or intro. And uh, it, just the sound of it, because of the way it's mixed, of course, and the way it's recorded, it's it's maybe it's clear to me of like how it's supposed to be played, but it doesn't mm-hmm. sound the same to me on the album. Right, right. Yeah, interesting. Interesting that it's not, the, that it's it changed on the album to be less like... Um, Cherub Rock. And the layered solos too are like a little more prominent or they stand out more and it doesn't sound as good to me uh, with the layered solos that they kind of add on afterwards live. And I I mean, I like it fine. Um, I I like the rugged edges that will, you know, we'll see that later with another single, but I, for me, I just prefer the album version, but you can definitely see them coming into, you know, the sound that is Gish. Yeah, definitely. And same, same. I think I prefer the album version as well. The next song I really enjoyed, the B-side off this, it's called Not Worth Asking. Not 
So speaking of slinky, this is slinky, and I like it a lot. Definitely. Um, this is the of all this whole batch of songs that we're covering today. This is the one that kind of, that probably because I I've, I'm the least familiar with it. it, it you know, for, that's one reason. But generally, because I just really vibed with it and liked it, I, I spent the most time with this, or, or kind of connected with this the most. Me too. Um, and this is the one I was referring to earlier. Where Me too. I was that's racking, the one I was too. Yeah, I, I, I was racking my brain to try to connect what the hell it was like. It was bringing me to a place of like some other song that I hadn't heard in a long time, but that I knew really well. And at first I was like, is it helium? Is it like throwing muses? It was, I was going through all these bands that all happen to be like female led bands, which mm-hmm. is kind of neither here nor there. But I landed on, have you ever heard of the band Matter Rose? Yeah. Do you know the song Panic On? Uh, not off the top of my head, but I am familiar it's, with the band. They have an album called Panic On, and it's the title track off that. It's from like 1993 or 94. But it really, really, really reminded me of that and huh. brought me to to that place. It's it's um, It sounds like it. The guitar sounds like it. The, the mood of it sounds like it. I felt mm-hmm. that this had a very kind of melancholy, and I mean that in the sense of the word, not the album necessarily, uh, autumnal vibe like it put me mm. in sort of a fall yeah uh, fall space a fall mood yeah um but yeah it, that song panic on by matter rose yeah it's so funny that you mentioned that because it, it is of the 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 sound of the era I kept racking my brain too, trying to figure out like, why does this, because it was in 1990. And at that point, alternative music, as we know, it was starting to have a certain sound. It, to me, it sounded like a little bit of like R.E.M. and or like mm-hmm. Lemonheads, uh, Urge Overkill. I had listed down like even Pablo Honey era Radiohead. Right, uh, the, right. There's a 4AD Boston clean sound, alternative Definitely. clean sound that's going on. And I, I kept I I listened to it over and over because this one I wasn't as familiar with either, and I, I immediately fell in love with it because it's such a cool song, and I was kind of like why why have I not been uh, listening to this all this time? I knew about its existence for sure, but thanks to like YouTube and uh, archive and all these other places that you can get these songs, like now I can get access to it and rip it from YouTube and put it on my iTunes and listen to it. So it makes it a lot easier than when I was collecting when I was in high school or college. Uh, but man, this song really, it has a sound and it has an attitude that really is up my alley. Yeah, definitely. Same here. It was, it, it really kind of got me. And and the reference I had just mentioned, that song didn't come out until three or four years after this. Mm. So it could, that's, you know, goes to show that whatever kind of sound, collective sound that they were tapped into that was kind of happening, they, you know, were kind of toward the forefront of it. Because, Once again, uh, Billy's ahead of the curve. Yep. And he doesn't mind saying so himself. <laughs> Based on the Instagram videos <laughs> and Q&As that we saw. Uh, we're with you, Billy. Don't worry. Um, yeah, we agree. We agree. Uh, I wonder what a cleaner recording of this would have sounded like. 
if that makes any sense. Uh, I kind of mm-hmm. almost wish it was re-recorded for the Lull EP for like with with Butch Vig. Uh, right. I, I mean, I, I really do love this this uh, this song and recording, but I wonder if it had a little bit of a higher production value, like what it could have sounded like. Yeah, yeah. I, I also wish it was on the Lull EP simply because I, I owned that. I, te- mm-hmm. I, you know, it was like in the CD era that I really began to try to be like a pumpkins completist i didn't come anywhere close and by the time i was gearing up it was like cds were sort of by the time i was starting to have like a somewhat impressive collection like cds were becoming no longer the the um the format of choice so i kind of i I never got to owning um owning this certainly or but you know it, I, I wish i had i wish this had been more in my life the the whole time but i'm excited to fold it into my um heavy pumpkins rotation me too i think this might be one of my favorites maybe we'll make a mix of our favorite pre-gish tracks yeah uh, i mean we'd have to find a way to do it on youtube or upload it to to link to download but uh because since, since these songs aren't available on spotify yet uh but you know i think there's there's a lot of good stuff here that could make a solid ep or lp you know yeah definitely there's a overdrive bust in on 146 that is so cool uh, where they add distortion to it or they you know kind of punches in with some more overdrive that like I really really dig and uh, the ending is fun too it's great yeah absolutely love this one yeah cool so I think that's uh those are my feelings on the I am one limited potential single. Uh, any more thoughts? Yeah, no, I think I, you know, it's very cool. It feels like like we said, pumpkins kind of kicking the doors open, um, with, um, what will grow to be an even better version of I am one when they get around to doing an album, but yeah, really great. Uh, first B side, right? officially speaking um, yeah because it, since the light into dark was a compilation they're both on there and it wasn't released separately as a seven inch or 12 inch so i would assume that yeah that would be the first b-side yeah maybe. strong debut of a great career in b-sides to come limited potential more like lots of potential yeah unlimited if you ask me that's no what limits. i did ask you thank you Yep, No Limit Soldiers, the original <laughs> No Limit Soldiers, the Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, so up next, we have the Tristessa single. In December 1990, Sub Pop released this as part of the single of the month, and the first two tracks were produced by Butch Vig. Butch, we love you, Butch. I'm a big Butch Vig fan. Uh, between his producing and his work with garbage, you know? Yeah. What a great career Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. To be such a great producer and man, oh man, I think we maybe talked about it. Um, and I know you're a garbage fan Mm -hmm. as well. And I, I always was too. And I think I had just kind of like, I, it had just been a long time since I had listened to garbage. And then a couple years ago, my wife and I went to go see 
garbage with Blondie technically open for Blondie, mm-hmm. but I, I would say garbage. So they were amazing. They stole the show. I was really psyched to see Blondie. I'd never seen either band, but yeah. I was kind of like, yeah, we're going to see Blondie. And as a fun bonus, garbage will be there. But it was kind of the other way around. Garbage was amazing. And it reminded me of all the great big hits. They had like mm-hmm. dozens seemingly of huge songs. If you factor in like the James Bond which isn't my favorite, but like, like the world is not go- enough. Yeah, they like from that to like the um, the one that was on the the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack to mm-hmm. like number one everything. Crush. Yeah, everything off the albums and yeah, uh, and that's just the hits. Let alone you know the albums are cool. garbage everybody they're great garbage is yeah great. and i saw them live during the first two albums and they were phenomenal and fantastic i actually got to meet butch vig when i went to see them during the version 2.0 tour and they were playing at the bronco bowl in dallas where i saw smashing pumpkins play the machina tour and they were i got there super early and the bronco bowl in dallas was such a weird place because there was a, it was a huge bowling alley and in the back there was this giant music venue and uh, I went there re- really early to hang out because usually you'd be able to kind of spot bands because they'd be bowling. Oh, yeah. Nice. And uh, and that's exactly what they were doing. It was everybody except for Shirley. It was the whole band, and they were bowling. And I went up to them, and I was like, hey, you know, I was a total fanboy about it. And I got them to sign, I think, a business card or something I had in my pocket. I can't even remember what it was. <laughs> was it your own business card? or was No, it, it wasn't that. It was something I had, just whatever I had in my pocket. So somewhere I have an autograph from Butch Vig on like a subway card or something stupid. It'd be funny like if you just had a business card that said Frank Garcia Hale, uh, teenager. Yeah. Or like, you know, teenage music fan. They were super nice and they were not at all put off by the fact that I was some nerdy teenager who was overly nervous around them. They were awesome. And I think, uh, I I don't know if I got a picture with them or not, but I remember their bass player who was their touring bass player. wasn't really officially part of the band, even though he's been with them forever. He kind of was like, he was used to that, you know, people going up to the, the members that notice them. And he was kind of like, off to the back and I went up to him I was like man you're awesome and he got like he lit up immediately <laughs> it was like oh cool really? yeah and we started talking yeah uh anyway we we took a huge detour because of just how much we love Butch Vig um especially the work he did with the pumpkins because I honestly think that uh the way that he recorded Billy's voice is probably the best he sounded other than Flood and Alan Mulder I think that uh, he's he brought the best out of Billy's vocals. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Is this too much bullshit for you to deal with? It? Facts about this, Pat. All right, so according to the reissue liner notes, according to Billy in the reissue liner notes, this is what he said about the song Tristessa. Uh, lifted from the author Jack Kerouac's book of the same name, written, I think, about a Spanish prostitute. I see myself not as a whore, but as a mirrored reflection in the feminine creative mind. I will await the artist within to come out to play. I call out her name longingly, coyly. Maybe I know that the artist in me is indeed meant to be a whore? Question mark. Our second single, This Was, re-recorded to try 
to clarify an earlier version. In the trade-off, something vital gets lost. I won't even bother to try to make it better. A shrug of ambivalence. I have already moved on from her. Um, that last part, I don't know if he's talking about the recording or the the um, connection between, you know, the uh, he and Tristessa, but yeah. um, a shrug of ambivalence. This is one of many... SP songs that are dev- that's devoted to a sort of mythical sounding female figure mm-hmm. with a, sort of a, a you know uh, interesting kind of flowery mythical name. Well, there's an interesting story behind this that we didn't cover in the William Patrick Corgan solo show episode because he talks about this single and this song uh, about sub pop, or rather, he talks about sub pop and his relationship with sub pop because he plays La Dolly Vita. And he talks about the history of Sub Pop and what happened with them. And uh, basically, you know, Sub Pop was kind of reluctant to sign them. And they released a single to be like, yeah, we'll see how it does. But because of their attitude towards it, it really turned Billy off. And then the single ended up doing incredibly well. Uh, One of their most successful singles. And then all of a sudden they were... Like, oh, yeah, we want to sign you. But then they were smart and they got into a bidding war. Uh, and, you know, they they signed with Caroline. You know, that's who won the bidding war. And I believe Hutt in the UK, I can't remember. But, yeah, Caroline was the, the label in the US that won that bidding war. And uh, Billy, we'll actually plop in what Billy said at the show here. This next song is from the Smashing Pumpkins. Second official single. Yeah. On Sub Pop. Yeah, I remember Sub Pop. <laughs> we drove. In order to secure this song, we drove 40 hours from Chicago to Seattle. We played with Tad. The Afghan wigs. And uh, hoping to land a record deal. All the other bands were doing it. And they offered us not an album, but these two songs, which I appreciate. And then when we landed a big deal, they came back later and said, Now we want to sign you. And the guy said, but why? <laughs> and I said, because you don't give a fuck about us. Yeah. All you want to do is sign us and flip us to a major label. Sorry. <laughs> the West is history. And that's a story of their relationship with Sub Pop. Yeah, very interesting that Billy out of the gate seemingly, or, or you know, could have been the band collectively, but I'm assuming Billy maybe led the charge of, of that bidding war or, or allowing that bidding war, or encouraging that. You know, he one it's like he is... One thing that I ultimately respect about Billy is that he's an unabashed businessman. He's an artist, certainly, but he's not afraid to kind of lean into being you know, uh, he's not ashamed of being like a shrewd business person too and being open about that. And I Mm. think that's kind of refreshing because especially of his generation of bands, there was definitely kind of like a, 
vibe of like all these guys, like for me as a young kid watching this, it was as if all these bands got sort of yanked by the collar onto MTV and like didn't want, like in a cool way, in a way that I thought was cool. It was yeah. like, fuck <laughs> it, whatever. But like Kurt Cobain wanted his band to do well. He did. You know what I mean? That like, was a, the biggest yeah. like uh, illusion is, you know, he's wearing a shirt that says, you know, on ro- the cover of Rolling Stone, it said corporate magazines still suck. But it's like, yeah, you're on the cover. Still. You're on there. Yeah. Which, you know, it, like, and, and I think he and Billy in different ways kind of played with that. It was uh-huh. like. It was fascinating to to watch it all play out, especially as a young kid who didn't fully maybe understand all the layers or maybe overthought a lot of the layers of these things like yeah. it, and just didn't understand like the certainly the business side of a creative industry at all. I mean, I feel like I'm just barely beginning to get a grasp on that, at, you know, in my mid 30s. But mm-hmm. like, it, you know, it it is. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to hear. Um, that uh, somebody being young and sort of green, but still standing up for years, having some self-worth and some, some, you know, feeling like you're worth being fought over a little bit at your band is. Yeah. Because you put a lot of time and effort into your craft and you deserve what you're worth. Yeah. Eventually you, you, you stop being exploited and you're saying like, no, I know that there's an audience for this and I know what my value is and this is what it's worth. And, you know, I think Billy's made no qualms about how big he wanted the band to be or how big he wanted to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's kind of refreshing because I don't think he's unique in, in that desire, but he's probably a little more unique in just the willingness to, to um, be open about it. Yeah, and I feel like at a certain point, things kind of poisoned as far as the... I mean, he's always kind of battled with how he's been perceived and, you know, by music journalists and, you know, music magazines and whatnot. But I think at a certain point, it did kind of poison during Melancholy when they became one of the biggest bands in the world. And I understand how he kind of started to take a different path where it was more of a Neil Young path. You know, mm-hmm. where he's got, he's like, oh, I'm going to do what I want to do. And you can either come along or, you know, whatever. But at the same time, still being like, well, I still want you here too and enjoying my music. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tricky line to, uh, tricky line to walk, certainly. Yeah. And I, I guess like he, there's no shortage still of Billy being, you know, claiming to be taken out of context or mm-hmm. misunderstood. But at least now he and everybody else ha- is able to directly, communicate for better or worse can directly communicate with fans and sort of like cut through whatever real noise or perceived noise or distortion and kind of say whatever they want to say yeah because i do find there's a little bit of danger in accusing like mainstream media of quote-unquote mainstream media of slagging him because i always get a little like allergic to that term of like mainstream media as a catch-all Right, because right. you know it's it is it, it does it, it evoke a certain you know type of person but i i do think that there is truth to the fact that you know one that it takes critics a while to come around to his music and that too there is a judgment of him that maybe isn't fair all the time yeah yeah I think that's that's yeah and he if he does say so if he does say so himself yeah um, I'll say that, uh, oh, 
So this was, had a lot of cool little vinyl pressings and releases. Uh, you can go to spfc.org and see all those things. I don't want to get into the the math of all that, but there's a lot of great, uh, especially a lot of collectible stuff, especially that there were the uh, the gray pressings of it, which happened when there was a, they didn't change the ink between pressings and it turned out to be gray. There's like, I think uh, 7,500 of those. Or no, sorry. Uh, there's a hundred of them. So a hundred out of the 7,500 that were pressed are gray. Hit us up if you're one of those gray bees out there who's got... Uh, oh yeah, the gravy babies. The cover of this, I, I, I'll say just uh, interestingly is obviously Darcy is is sort of hangs thick in the air of mm-hmm. uh, pumpkins, uh, history and present. Darcy prominently featured on the cover. It's a photo of primarily, like, kind of big picture of Darcy. Billy and James are kind of in the foreground. Yeah, and they're kind no of Jimmy hiding. Jimmy visible on the cover. Jimmy, I assume, is pictured on the back. Is that just I, I him by himself? It's him by himself in a garden, holding a balloon, yeah. and he's just like, "Hey, I'm here too," and he's waving. Hey guys, will will <laughs> no, I- will, will, will drum for food. I, I actually have no idea what's on the back cover of it, but um, I imagine he's somewhere. Maybe they hit him. Maybe it's a Where's Waldo type of situation. Right. Um, or it's like, yeah, can you find Jimmy? <laughs> Listen for his driving rhythms. Um, but I think just uh, in terms of being a new band in the early 90s or a new emerging band, um, just kind of, it kind of goes back to how, for better or worse, um, Darcy was always a big part of the appeal of this band. And I think Billy knew it and knows it and it still knows it. And that's perhaps why it's such a sore spot Mm -hmm. still. Yeah. I wonder what the the reason. Yeah. I wonder what the decision was to do that album or the, to do that single cover. Uh, because yeah, it is. I wonder what the story is behind there and I'm not going to ask him. That's for sure. No, that's a good way to get blocked. Yep. You're going to get an instant block on that Instagram. No, thank you. Block. Yeah. Insta block. I want to keep reading those. Um, So the first track off of this, of course, is the A side, which is Tristessa. I really love this version of the the song. I, I'm going to say something controversial. I think I might prefer it to the album version. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. See, I found them to be of of all the songs we talked about here that are recorded elsewhere. That this felt the closest to the differences felt minor, very minor to mm. me. But I'm curious to hear your your uh, argument for this being the superior version. Oh yeah, I mean, I like how it's raggedy and raw and. I, I like that. Kind of, we talked about the I am one single to me, what felt like it not being, you know, not to make a pun, but like living up to its potential, the I am one mm-hmm. uh, recording because it's too raggedy. I felt like this one, I, it gave it more charm to me. And, um, 
something about the mix, the intro with the drums sounds so good. Something about that intro just sounds so good. Just J Jimmy's drums sound way more confident and powerful, just immediately just punches in. And I always felt like the song could use trims. You know, uh, it goes on like slightly, I don't know, a verse or two too long to me. But for this, I, I don't know, like it, it, it the at 241, it, it kind of gives me chills because after the solo, it goes into this dive bomb with Jimmy's drums and it sounds so damn good. And right after that, the bass sounds more prominent. there's just certain elements of this that I like the rawness of it. And there's a feeling of them having fun. It's more electric. It just feels more cohesive. Mm -hmm. And it feels like what I imagine seeing them live. I feel like Butch Vig did a good job of maybe capturing what they sound live onto this record. Yeah, I, I hear that totally. And I think the, the as opposed to the difference between the I am one version where like the earlier ones sound a little more, timid or restrained um this does not sound that way at all it's it sounds like similar similar um confidence but just r rougher which i agree is often cool you know I, I think slickness is not always the 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 ultimate uh you know virtue in in, in a song i I, I yeah i very much believe that because i'm one of the few people who thinks that the foo fighters first album is their best the one that he recorded all himself and i and i love color in the shape but i think that first album is really special Yeah, I, I'm. I've always liked the Foo Fighters. I've, I've. I'm not a person who knows their albums front to back, but I totally agree. I, I liked them more out of the gate than ever before. I think, like, you know, because the, they just kept, they're a band that just on every level kept getting bigger and bigger and mm. bigger. You know, bigger sound, bigger production value, bigger kind of. You could like hear bigger budgets almost. And that's not always, yeah, that doesn't always make for the most charming music. Yeah. Or, or, or more so than something you could have done, you know, it, by yourself in your room. Yeah. And while I love the album version of this song, I, there's a charm to this that I can't help but be, you know, uh, bewitched by, if you will. And I will. You know, I will. <laughs> Thank you, by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I don't know. What are your feelings on this? Um, you know, I, I, I really like it. I, I, I but I didn't, I, my ear didn't pick up a lot of, um, uh, super huge differences. Um, I kind of, I like both versions. I think I, I, I might've had a dumb ear on this one and I kind of didn't, 
other than the roughness, you know, I definitely the the sort of slightly more rough around the edges vibe, which I also like. I didn't like pick up on a, on a whole host of uh, differences, but I, I do like it as well. Cool. The next track, I believe, is La Dali Vida. So this is another one that was produced by Butch Vig, and it sounds so good. Yeah, yeah. Now this this is the same version that appears on the original Pisces Iscariot. Is that right? That's something that I wasn't clear on. Uh, I I assume that's the case because Pisces is collecting a lot of the B sides and stuff onto mm-hmm. one compilation, and while it does have somewhat of a uniform sound. I don't know. Yeah, if anybody out there let knows, let us know because we were not totally sure about this. And then also, I it's, it's you know to complicate things a little further. I don't have my um, you know my my copy of Pisces Iscariot. My CD copy is in a bin in my brother's basement uh, across the country in Buffalo, New York, right now. So I I did, I, I, and obviously it's been remastered on streaming platforms. So I wanted to try to get, I I pulled it up like a, you know, just a user upload on YouTube to try to listen to the, you know, the original version. But yeah, yeah. If you know if there, if there was any difference between these two, the the version that appeared on Pisces and this, let us know. Cause we don't know. Yeah. Cause it's SPFC.org doesn't really, it has the sessions, but then I'm assuming that the sessions were the same ones used that they use for Pisces. It's a little confusing. I mean, they're both produced by Butch Vig, so I assume that that's just the version that they used. Right. And um, yeah, I, I I I don't know. It. I also wish I had my CD copy as well because mine's you know they're all my CDs are in a giant tub back home in Texas. Uh, and I want to read the liner notes of, because in the liner notes of Pisces, he talks about each song. Yeah. If we ever get a chance to fly or travel again, I, <laughs> we're, that's what we're going to do. <laughs> I got to get thing. my bin of, uh, I mean, the thing is it's so my, I have like one or two huge, like Rubbermaid containers of CDs, but I'm going to at least dig out the, and I have some of the pumpkin CDs, like Euphoria and like Machina two and like. I brought, I had, you know, I just never traveled. Like when I left home for college, I left behind, you know, you pack up your, your big CD booklet and you, yeah. <laughs> you go become an adult. So yeah. I just, but now I'm like, I want my aeroplane flies high CD set. I Me want, too. I want all this stuff. I want like desperately. And it's, it's so, <laughs> so hard to get before I start. God help me uh, rebuying CDs. That's the last thing I need to do. And I've already kind of, well, we've already that. done that. Yeah. You and I both have, uh, 
given in to rebuying some of this stuff on eBay and, and Amazon. I know, it's terrible. <laughs> it's I, really I, bad. I hate myself for it, but <laughs> the one that I rebought, I at least lost. I, I talk right. about it in our la- in our uh, in our first mini episode, but yeah. man oh man, if I start rebuying CDs that are to- that are just going unused in my brother's basement, God help me. Yeah. Um, I also didn't own a physical copy of Zeitgeist. Um me I, had, I had the digital one that I bought off of iTunes, and then the the one I bought off of eBay is the one with the Best Buy version, and um, we'll cover that much much later. Uh, but yeah, that that was just something I never owned, you know. Yeah. So that's I yeah. guess that's fine. But I, I have yet to rebuy. When I moved, I I really regret this. But when I moved from New York, you know, we we needed money, so I was selling a lot of my DVDs and CDs at couldn't make the move or we didn't want to move and i sold my cd special editions of siamese dream and gish and that i really regret that but that's just you know i i needed the money you know right yeah and um are those like the the um 2011 or the the remastered ones that same as like the vinyl the box sets yeah Yeah, where it came with all the extra stuff and the dvds and i was like uh it it pained me to do it but i know it went to another fan and i just yeah yeah and at least it's not ultra rare or anything like that's true get a gettable if you ever want to bite that bullet again (laughs) yeah next Uh, time i have that disposable income out, out of this pandemic yeah (laughs) right yeah i know truly the it is truly the last thing you know, rebuying CDs that you already bought. It's, there's just something about it that just feels, it just feels so wrong, but so right at the same time. So, yeah, I, I really love this song. It all works for me. The, the hush vocals with the falsetto back, backing vocals and the slide guitar and the cool chorus soaked solo. I just, you know what? I I imagine jamming out in the park after dropping acid and just Mm -hmm. feeling the sun on your face, you know? Man, and that that section of the fadeaway, I want to see her. It's just so. Everything about this song is just so cool. I took the opportunity to also read the lyrics to this one, which which are you know I think I just knew a little more. Like I knew from listening to, but I, did, I the opening lyric is I lay my head on her bosom, mm-hmm. and I I there, as many songs as the pumpkins have. I wonder is this the only mention of the word bosom, bosom. in their entire catalog? Yeah, I I, I don't know. It's hard. Maybe to it's say. part of the uh, uh, pasticcio medley. Maybe it's one of those. Maybe in there at, uh, at eight fifty six, uh, James just yells "bosom." Yeah, really loud. <laughs> just, yeah, that's a that's a James track that he cut. Yeah, that didn't <laughs> appear on "Let It Come Down." Um, so yeah, I, I really you know the little string drags and the picks and plucks and like there's just all this like it also displays much more mature songwriting that the band is mm-hmm. getting into a new era of it's it's in it's so insane to believe that between gish and melancholy it's really only like what three or four years yeah it's crazy and i feel like that's something with a lot of great bands you can like you just put these insane period i mean obviously like the beatles are the big example but tons Mm -hmm. of it like these just insane fertile periods of like growth and evolution and yeah this is like i feel like they're off to the races into into um that really fertile kind of like oh i think what a lot of people think of as sort of like the golden Uh you know golden uh, era um 
But yeah, I mean, he's using words like bosom and not, and no one's snickering, you know? Mm-hmm. That, if that's not maturity, then I don't know what is. Yeah, any other thoughts on La Dolly Vita? Yeah, I think it's a great song. I mean, like, you know, uh, uh, this one, uh, I felt like... Um, I wasn't getting anything new just because it, it, it's, you know, it's very familiar, but it is a, it's a great song. Love it. Cool. All right. This next song is called Honey Spider. So this one is a Mark Ignafo mix. It's a different version because there were two different versions of Honey Spider that were recorded. And this one's the distorted rocking version that was released on the uh, 12-inch. And the the cleaner, clean-toned version that we covered was on the Moon uh, demo. And uh, this one is much more distorted. It's not as chill as the Moon version. I think I prefer the other version. I'm not sure. But live, I would prefer this version. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, this compared to the version on Moon Demo, this one um, had lots more reverb, uh, which is interesting. It's like an interest. I feel like that's been the opposite case from like demo from some of these songs that we've covered in in this and other episodes of maybe not this, but like uh, of the the cassettes. It feels like their tendency, they were like reverb heavy in their infancy um, and then kind of got away from it uh, a little bit, but it was sort of the opposite. I am a reverb junkie, so so I do like it here. Yeah, you Um, give me reverb, you give me chorus, you give me flange, you give me delay. I'm all about it. I'm all in. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, you know, I I like the big jammy ending on this one. Me too. I wrote that down, uh, the freak out ending. Yeah, and I think that's just kind of what I was getting at, at, at uh, talking about the song Sun um, on the Light Into Dark compilation, how they kind of should have gone out, just like have the big jammy ending and go out on the big, the big moment rather yeah. than... But hey, you know, that's Ignafo for you. That's Ignafo. Billy, baby, you're going to want to have that freak out ending, and you're going to want to end strong, baby. Trust me. And then you want to just dip, go back in, go back in again, and then end on a, (laughs) go out on a bang, then come in with a whimper, and then go out again. And Billy, here, take these tabs. Go ahead. Don't ask any questions. Just take these tabs. Go ahead. They got pictures of Nixon on them. Just put them on your tongue. Well, it's funny because there is somebody at the end that I'm, if you really turn it up loud, which I don't recommend if you don't know exactly where it's at, because, you know, it might blow out your ears or it's going to go on to the next song. But like at the very end of this, if you turn it up, you can hear somebody laughing. I assume it's Billy saying, stop, you're killing me. Stop. Oh, really? Yeah. And so I don't know if maybe maybe Ignafo is a, is a personality. And maybe like, Ignafo was tickling him. Maybe. That's what I like to picture. <laughs> Billy, come here. Come here, Billy. Let me just... Oh, here we go. Yeah, take that, Billy. <laughs> and he goes, stop, you're killing me. 
That, that's oh, one for the can, Billy. Let's keep it on the record. Ignafo, come on, man. We're going to keep painting this picture of you if you don't give us a reason not to. Yeah. Uh, open shirt, chest hair for sure. Maybe a medallion. Cocaine. Uh, one of those necklaces that you could kind of <laughs> scoop cocaine with. <laughs> it's a cocaine vial. <laughs> it's a cocaine vial um, necklace, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But it's one like long way too big. Nail. It's like... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the long very long pinky nail yeah but the vial is like way too big it's like yeah, extremely yeah. obvious and you can actually it's translucent enough that you can see what's in it yeah you could see just like a large amount of cocaine in there. <laughs> just caked on his nose less of a vial and more of like a tupperware type this is of slander right this is just slander we're just, i think we're know. we're bordering on slander yeah we're um, you know what libel we're libel slander whatever like we you know what we're having fun that we're doing uh we're imagining we are doing a take yeah on. this is parody you can't sue us okay we're protected sorry ignafo sorry all your dirty money all your drug money you can't <laughs> touch us we love you ignafo we love you ignafo you you created you helped record some of the best shit uh, of the pumpkins catalog you helped launch them into what they are so thank you very much ignafo we love you so um yeah i mean i like i said I, I you know there's two different versions of the song and i think this one is an interesting one but i think i prefer the moon demo version yeah the moon demo version was um I guess I, I listened to Moon Demo a lot. I, I wound up with, like, I I had, I don't think, I didn't have any kind of physical copy of it, but I, I had the MP3s on my computer for years. So of kind yeah. of all of these things that we've discussed, that one is kind of seared into my bones the way, closest to the way the albums are, you know, mm. so I'm, I'm biased. But I, I, I like them both. I think they both have their, their charms. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Cool. So yeah, coming up next, we have the 1991 20 Explosive Dynamic Super Smash Hit Explosions compilation. And this one's a little murky of what that release was. We have a date-ish, 1991, but it's a CD comp that was uh, kind of a riff off the KTEL compilations from the 70s and 80s. And all the bands had to cover obscure 70s songs. And uh, yeah, and the song that they covered for this is... Jackie Blue, which is an Ozark Mountain Devils cover. thoughts pat um yeah i really like this um the the ozark mountain devils i don't think i was familiar with them um, i definitely I, wasn't yeah yeah and i guess this was one of their big hits but they're a southern rock band from the 70s apparently still active today i kind of you have quick, to be with that name 
Right, I know. It feels like a refillable. Like they can, they could cycle in new, new uh, daredevils. Uh, uh, yeah, I wonder what the. Yeah, I wonder if there's any drama with that band. You know how like bands of that era are touring with the name, but then it's like, oh, there's the real Ozark Mountain I, Devils, and then there's the Ozark Mountain Devils, etc. You know, right? I bet it's like every member is dead. <laughs> All the original members are dead. One of their sons is in it, and then like you know, yeah. Uh, but we don't want to slander those. Are yeah, we don't. Don't sue us, either. all right? This is parody. Those guys, yeah, they seem like they could. You don't want to get on their bad side. But I, I did really like this. Um, I had some thoughts on it. It, it, um, it reminded me of some of the more kind of fun, loving covers on the airplane flies high, like um, clones or oh, you're yeah. all I've got tonight, which, which, which I loved both of those. It was sort of a, a f- more fun side of the pumpkins and and i think it's a good early example of the band making choices that wouldn't be wouldn't necessarily seem cool on paper at the time you know know, i mean granted that was sort of the gimmick of this um uh compilation so everyone was kind of having fun but you know it it, you sort of this kind of early nine gen x kind of era of of kind of darker stuff you wouldn't expect a band like them to necessarily cover this southern rock this kind of upbeat southern rock uh classic but mm-hmm. um yeah I, I i really uh i i really like it i i like that they did it have you heard the original i don't think i t- i don't think i listened to it while listening to this i think i just listened to this version a few times i i, I may unless it was like a radio hit which it seems like maybe it was i don't know that i have I pulled it up on YouTube just to kind of get a comparison, and it's a cool song. It's a really catchy song, and I'm surprised that I didn't know about it because growing up, I I knew a lot about, or I would listen to and hear a lot of the kind of '60s and '70s pop hits, and I'm I'm surprised that this one, you know, flew under my radar, or I, I just never either remembered it or or knew about it. But it's a really fun, cool song, and I think the cover is a really cool take on it, and it's it's fun. There's a fun solo. The band is clearly, as you said, having fun with this. And yeah. That, yeah, the wah pedal is really fun. I don't know. It just overall, it's just a really fun listen. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> that's about my, that's my, my, my huge insights into my life, altering yeah. insights into Jackie Blue, their cover same yeah there's not much more to say it's like that you know it's a fun fun cover some of the other bands on the compilation are the slugs the sneeches the farmers material issue i've heard of them yeah i've heard uh, of material issue oh trench mouth that's oh, uh that's fred, fred armison's band. band right yeah he, there he, he is i'm looking at the disc oh interesting i gotta check out the rest of this uh the rest of this comp do you know fred armison frank uh yes sort of 
he and Horatio had a or have a uh, Latino uh, creator content website called Mas Mejor that I mm-hmm. created content for uh, a while back, and I've worked with them both. And in some capacity, I actually did a video with Fred and uh, Paul Simon once through this. Oh, no shit. No way. Yeah. And Paul Simon was incredible and amazing. So, yeah, I I have an association with Fred uh, through Mas Mejor. But, yeah, I'm not very close with him. But I would love to get him on the pod if he ever wanted to come on. Yeah, we could talk Trench Mouth. Talk about Trench Mouth. Yeah, talk about the Chicago scene at that time. Because yeah. I know that, you know, he has the connection with uh, Jeff Tweedy as well. And even, you know, opened up for Jeff Tweedy in a few dates later on. Um, yeah, that, that is a cool connection. Who would have thought? You learn all sorts of things when you look at 20 explosive dynamic super smash hit explosions on Discogs. Um, there's also Young Fresh Fellows, Spies Who Surf, uh, God's Acre, Poster Children. Uh, we there know them. Again. And uh, Mojo Nixon. Uh, oh, yeah, I know just Mojo to name Nixon. a few. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some familiar names on there. Mojo Nixon was like touring all the time. I feel like I, I always would see poster bills for them in Dallas, and or, or I would see that they were playing at. Um, you know, the bomb factory in Dallas or, or trees, you know, it just always seemed like a band that was touring. Yeah. I think that was maybe the case in Buffalo too. Like, like, uh, I, I, I never saw them, but it's a band that you could easily conjure up, uh, images of their, their name on a, on a flyer. And what's that song? You can picture the glossy, right? You could picture the glossy in your mind. If, if, uh, what's this, the dead, is it dead milkman who have that lyric? That's, talking about a record store and if if you don't have mojo nixon then your store could use some fixing we asked for mojo nixon they said he don't work here we said if you don't got mojo nixon then your store could use some fixing oh i don't know well <laughs> that, that, i'm not a, i think I'm it's not a uh dead milkman aficionado but yeah i'll take your word for it yeah i mean you know neither am i but i that that's that's what i think of when i think of mojo <laughs> nixon store could use some fixing yeah so pat those are the pre-Gish official releases. We are now, I, I think, I hope, we are now through the demos and official releases pre-Gish. Yeah, yeah. Um, what a journey. What a journey, yeah. Uh, it's been a wild ride. Yeah, there's, a, there's some stuff that I never knew about. It was cool to discover these starting this podcast we've been taking a deep dive and discovering stuff that it's almost like we're getting a whole new life or a whole new uh, crate or a trunk of new music to us yeah it's it's great and some of it certainly like you know a lot of this was available to us it's it's just it's it's i will say it's already kind of deepened my appreciation for the band it's fascinating just from uh like you said for as a as a creative person who makes various things whether it's like directing stuff or writing or you know doing like visual art stuff like it's just it's really cool to see i love seeing people i know about as kind of who at one point or another or currently are masters of their craft seeing them in like their their nascency and their infancy and seeing the journey is is really cool seeing the rough the stuff that's rough around the edges learning the the, about the kind of 
you know, the lean early times, it's, it's just really illuminating and it makes you appreciate the, um, the kind of pinnacles of their, of their careers even more. The stuff we grew up knowing were, you know, like I hooked into Siamese dream and melancholy, arguably, you know, that's what most people consider their greatest moments Uh first, and then kind of branched outward from there. I went backwards into Gish and Pisces and forwards in, you know, into the future. Um, But you embraced it. Uh, yeah, if you, the into the future parentheses embrace, but yeah, this is this really has deepened my appreciation uh, for the band, and you know, it, it, it's 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 uh, hopefully it, it's done the same for the, um, you know we're sure there's probably bigger pumpkin heads out there. Oh who yeah, this is old hat for, but maybe you haven't thought about it in a while, you know, and yeah, maybe I, uh, you, you'll you'll take another listen. My hope is that people listen to this, you know, we'll have the hardcore fans and we'll also have the Fairweather fans and the occasional, you know, fans of the of the band and that they'll be turned on to some of this other stuff and then they'll be able, this will be new to them. And I, yeah. that kind of excites me that they took that journey with us. Yeah, definitely. It's been great. And it's just beginning. I mean, it's you just know, beginning. Yeah, we seriously, you know, we kind of thought of this as like, yeah, maybe we'll do this. Uh, we thought maybe it might be too... Um, indulgent indulgent Um, we thought it would be too indulgent maybe to start with this stuff but i'm glad we did i think it gives a context to what where we're gonna go yeah yeah definitely and and i think you know i hope people out there would appreciate it i think it may be a little too maybe uh who needs a, a smashing pumpkins podcast where they dive in and start talking about Gish, come on! Any any come asshole on. can do that. Come on, come on. Ignafo. We're talking about Ignafo. We're talking about Ignafo. Last time you heard his name, yeah. even the biggest diehards, you probably haven't heard Ignafo mentioned in a while. And Ignafo, yeah. if you're out there, we love you, baby. We love you, baby. Sorry that we're slandering you. Um, so yeah, that'll do it for that. In the next episode that we'll have, we'll cover. Gish baby baby. or you know unless some breaking news that you know needs to be covered first happens but we will get into Gish we'll be gabbing Gish Mm -hmm. we'll be talking you know hopefully new music too in in the in the not too distant future I'm hoping uh I've been a little it's weird because you know by the time this comes out this will be old news but the fact that he's answering these questions about recording the third volume Mm-hmm. And people have asked him like, "Oh, are you gonna record? Are they gonna record mo- remotely the rest of the band?" And he said, "No." Right. So right. I don't know what that means. Is he gonna do the whole thing himself, or is it gonna be a solo acoustic? But then he's releasing another a uh, 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 solo acoustic album. So I don't know. I guess we'll see. By the time this comes out, maybe we'll, we'll already know. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely been a lot of talk. He's he's you know sitting on many many tracks so oh yeah you know Ooh, and now hopefully by the end of the year we'll see that machina reissue yeah yeah i'm that, hoping by uh, christmas time that'll be at the top of our list that we can ask for for christmas yep ask santa claus old saint nick oh if he's my allowed god. to travel oh god wait do you oh i can't wait to write to santa and he's gonna bring in that box set of machine goes, ho 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 pat you've been a good boy here you go machina machina reissued that's right the way it was meant to be heard with new sequencing 
<laughs> he sounds a little bit like Don Pardo. Yeah, I Fe- think Santa and Dar- Don Pardo are the same person. We're featuring Robert Smigel. <laughs> featuring a better recording of White Spider. <laughs> and Nora Dunn. <laughs> I love Nora Dunn. I think she's amazing. She's uh, great. Yeah, she's awesome. She's so funny. Anyway. Um, well, I think we are about Nora Dunn with that uh, comment, <laughs> with this episode. Uh, but we will see you very soon on the Pumpcast. Hit us up on social. Get in touch. Let us know if we messed anything up today or share any Pumpkins-related stories, thoughts, questions, whatever you got with us. Uh, and we look forward to more cool stuff in the future. Yeah, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. And hopefully you're enjoying the podcast. And until next time, farewell. And good, and good night. night. Ho, ho, ho. Patrick.